Welcome to the Stop Down Photography Podcast, episode 116. I'm Scott Davenport. In this episode, let's talk about the big problem with non-destructive editing. Hi, welcome. Thanks for joining. I'm glad to be back with you for another chat about photography, this passion we share. And in this episode, let's take one more step on our never-ending journey of photography. So I have a problem with non-destructive editing, and I want to talk about it. And I want to challenge you to perhaps think a little differently about your relationship uh, with non-destructive editing and your use of non-destructive editing. So let's get into it. And where did this topic come from? Well, you know, a few days back, I was talking with another photographer about image management. You know, what images do you keep? What do you trash? And this wasn't like the culling part of your workflow, separating good images from bad images. This was about the image management after that, you know, depending on your workflow and the number of tools you use you might have several intermediate photos before you get to your final finished piece, finished work. And that got me thinking about non-destructive editing because we're we're all doing it, right? I mean, just about every modern editor is a non-destructive editor. The original photo is not touched and your editing instructions are like played on top of that untouched original. It's been the professional standard for, what, 15 years, maybe 20? And it'll continue to be because it has several advantages. There's a reason that we use it. First and foremost, like I just said, you never alter the original image. Your source material remains pristine. Now, this parallels the film world, your film negative, you kept protected, you almost held sacred and each print was the variation from the original. I, I think it was Ansel Adams, he said like something to the effect like the negative is a musical score and the print is the performance. It's like in the digital world, the raw is the digital negative and there's value keeping it protected and unsullied. So non-destructive editing is good in that way and it's also reasonably space efficient it's kinder to compute storage, right? Your image files aren't copied. You're not duplicating pixels. Instead, you give editing instructions that software replays against the raw. And the instructions are small. They're compact. And the final result is just a representation on the screen until you make a print or you export the image to like a self-contained portable file like a JPEG or a TIFF. Another big thing that's touted for non-destructive editing is re-editability. You know, photographers, we talk about this a lot. You can go back, you can tweak settings, adjust things, and it's helpful to revisit a photo after like a a cooling off period, see it with fresher eyes, and make revisions. Um, Or you can go back to the beginning and do a complete redo of an image because your editing tools have gotten better or your editing skills have gotten better. We can make virtual copies or versions trying out totally different renditions of the image and that's without duplicating or modifying the original each one of those is just a different set of editing instructions 
phrased in like an Ansel Adams-ish kind of way, non-destructive editing allows for like infinitely diverse performances from a single musical score. And that part's wonderful. It really is. Non-destructive editing is especially wonderful if you're a single tool user. If everything you do is in Lightroom or on one or capture one, it's fantastic. You can go back to a photo from 10 years ago, nudge things around, make a new version. And as long as you're using that single tool, you're good. However, that surfaces the first problem with non-destructive editing, editing tool lock-in. Now, of course, you're never locked in. You always have the choice to change tools, but you'll leave those non-destructive edits behind. Each editing tool is a walled garden. You can see those non-destructive edits only within that tool. Or sometimes an editing tool change is forced upon you. A vendor making an editing tool now might not make that tool in five years or 10 years. Uh, They might scrap it entirely, build a different one. It happens. I've lived through it. I've talked about that on the podcast, I'm sure. I started with Apple's Aperture in my digital photography, a non-destructive editor, and then Apple stopped making that software. I had to move. And my non-destructive edits, years worth of photos, they got left behind. I had to cut JPEGs or TIFFs and commit the edits, and I still had the original RAWs. I just don't have those non-destructive editing instructions anymore. You might be thinking about some tools that migrate edits from one photo editor to another. There are some out there that do it. Some are built in, like, uh, you know, On One's got something to move things from Lightroom. Uh, There's another outfit, I think it's called Avalanche is the name of their uh, their product to move between a variety of different uh, photo vendor libraries and catalogs. And they almost all come with some limitations. A certain filter isn't supported, or masks don't translate in the right way, or the control points on the curve aren't maintained. Something changes, and there's little variations in how color or contrast or sharpness get translated. The way the photo looked in your old app isn't quite the same as the new app. It's close, but it's not perfect. And we're a group of discerning photographers, right? You put effort into making your image look exactly the way you want it, and you can't just translate that across. And if a vendor stops making an application, you say, oh, I'll just run the application forever. But that's not plausible in the long term. You you can't just run the older software forever. You might want to upgrade your computer's operating system or your computer itself. Mac OS and Windows, they move forward and eventually stop supporting older applications. And you could try to freeze a computer in time, you know, that one old machine that runs one old operating system and use it forever, but hardware dies. And I'm not the kind of guy that wants to run an ultra slow computer to to edit my photos. So that's, you know, that's, that's a, that's a problem. You know, editor lock in and what happens if the editor goes away. A second problem, this is more like a mental one, because with the ability to always go back and change and tweak and refine things, you run the risk of thinking the photo's never finished. The work is never done. 
that's more of a discipline challenge you know to be able to say I'm finished with this photo I'm happy with it I happen to edit it non-destructively but I'm done with that particular rendition uh, you know again the the Ansel Adams way I'm finished with that performance if I, I, I may do a new performance in the future but I'm finished with this one but those those things those really aren't like my big problem with non-destructive editing my big problem with it is plugins now, if you don't use plugins, um, then you can revel in non-destructive editing in your single app. Sit back, smile, hope your vendor keeps making that uh, that particular application. Because what I'm about to go into here doesn't impact you. Uh, if you do use plugins, all right, well, we'll buckle up, strap in, and uh, let's talk through this. There's two two things about the plugin problem here with uh, with non-destructive editing. First one is image sprawl. Depending on your workflow, you might use several applications. Whether that's a round trip from a host application like Lightroom on one, Capture One, or in a sequence from app to app, just moving through a series of applications, you end up with intermediary files. You know, you do that round trip from, say, Lightroom to, I don't know, Topaz and back. You had your original RAW, your non-destructive changes got baked into, say, a TIFF, that went over to Topaz, you did some stuff there, you came back, you know, and now you have two images. And if Topaz was one of several apps you're gonna go through, you see where this is going. Three images, four images, five images. How many, you know, how many plugins are you using? You know, I've got half a dozen editing tools in my toolkit, maybe more. Some are more specialized, some are core tools I use a lot. You know, an example that I, I commonly go through, I'll use Lightroom. And then on one effects, Luminar Neo and Topaz Sharpen to finish up the work. So sometimes I'm using two plugins, sometimes all three. And if I do a round trip for each one of those, I end up with four images. The original raw with the Lightroom edits, an intermediate going through on one. That image in turn goes through, say, Luminar Neo, another intermediate file. And then finally through Sharpen, I've got the final image, that's a fourth photo. And I have all of these sitting in my catalog. So plugins work this way, this is how they work. And they produce destructive edits. So as soon as you're in a plugin world, you're kind of in a, a bit of a destructive world. And you have potentially several unnecessary image files left over. Okay, fine, delete the ones you don't need. You get two images left because I'm always keeping that raw file and I need the finished photo. And I'm not going to remember what I did with those plugins in between. So like the notion of non-destructive editing, meaning I can go back to the beginning and recreate the final image from scratch. That's, that's a fallacy. I can't do that with uh, this type of plugin workflow. Let me pause right here during this description of this destructive plugin workflow, you might have wanted to interject. We were sitting across from a table. You might have wanted to say, hey, Scott, what about Photoshop smart objects? You get a single image file with the capability to re-edit the base Lightroom settings and the edits in the plugins, you know, assuming the plugin supports a smart object workflow, and most of them do. And that's 100% true. And in fact, I do use smart objects, 
because it's a cleaner, non-destructive workflow, and it helps address the image sprawl problem. And I've done videos on this too. If uh, you're not familiar with smart objects, I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, one of those videos. Let me quickly describe what a, a smart object Photoshop workflow is like. From a Lightroom perspective, you do your edits in Lightroom, and then you want to use a plugin. You send the image from Lightroom to Photoshop as a smart object, and in Photoshop, you can launch plugins as filters on that smart object. You use the plugin just like you would any other way. You save the changes, come back to Photoshop, and those changes are saved in a non-destructive fashion. You could go re-edit that smart object filter, then that plugin opens back up with the settings that you had from the last time you saved it, and you can tweak them. And when you're all done, you go back to Lightroom. You finish the round trip you started from Lightroom. You have the original RAW with some non-destructive edits in your catalog, and next to it, you have a, a TIFF or a PSD that's a smart object from a Photoshop point of view that has those non-destructive plug-in edits that you could see and work with if you open it in Photoshop. And you've got those same two files, right? You, uh, you don't have the cleanup to do after a round trip. I still have two files left in the catalog, so image sprawl isn't too bad. So great, okay, smart objects, that's the answer, right? Problem solved? Well, if you're an Adobe user, it's an option, it's a good option. I use it because I'm an Adobe user, and smart objects have advantages. But that's not the end of the story. Why? What's the problem? Time. Plugins come and go. Do you use the same plugins you did two years ago? Maybe. What about three years ago? Or five years ago? Our workflows always change. And because the tools change, the technology improves, our photography matures. Some plugins we used to rely on go away. Uh, we don't need them anymore. Uh, some just cease to exist. There was a time I had Photomatics in my, my arsenal of tools. Do you remember Noise Ninja? Perfect Effects 4? Maybe something a little more recent? Luminar 3. These are all plugins that aren't, they don't exist in, their, uh, in, a, in a current modern format anymore. And when you stop using a plugin, do you keep it installed on your computer? When you upgrade to a new computer, do those unused plugins move over? Your photo catalog certainly does. What about those plugins you used two, three, five, ten years ago to make some of those smart object, non-destructive edits? And if you do move them over, will they still run? Like I said earlier, operating systems move forward. They'll leave old applications in the dust. So you go back to crack open one of those smart objects inside of Photoshop that used an old plugin. You can't re-edit that photo if the plugin app isn't there or the plugin won't run because it's too old. That non-destructive image file is no longer editable. It's baked. It's done. It's as good as a destructive edit at that point. And that's the big problem. Truly non-destructive editing, I think it's a fallacy. You know, even with a even with a single app, I mean the notion of being able to go back to your original and recreate the end result, you know, from from the top down, we're relying 
on photo editing vendors to maintain capability, keep the software up to date, and there just is no guarantee with that. Apple stopped making Aperture, and that was a good, solid app. Skylum, they, they burned a lot of photographers moving from Luminar 3 to Luminar 4. The non-destructive edits didn't carry forward. Now, I don't expect Adobe or On One or Capture One or the major vendors today to break things suddenly, but who knows? So where does that leave us with non-destructive edits? Is it pointless? No, of course not. It has value, I said at the beginning of this episode. But that value is bounded. And here's my challenge to you. Think about the last time you went to an older photo in your library and re-edited it. You changed adjustments. I don't mean making a virtual copy or a version and starting over or tweaking that version. I mean those original settings when you first edited the photo. How old was that image? What's the oldest photo you've done with that? My answer is about five months, and that was an outlier. More often, it's two to three weeks. And I think that's a really comfortable place to be. I can work on an image, take a step back from it, let it sit, usually for a few weeks, and then revisit it with fresh eyes, make adjustments, finish the work. Non-destructive editing is absolutely wonderful for that. It's also wonderful for experiments and variations, virtual copies or versions. They're fantastic. I don't have to copy large files around. I don't duplicate things, eating up compute storage. I just have a new set of editing instructions that play against the raw. So I'll continue to edit non-destructively for those reasons. And it's a fallacy that I'm going to open a photo I edited years ago with plugins I used years ago, have already forgotten how to use those plugins, and make minute adjustments to an image, or recreate the work from original sources if for some reason I lost the edits. It's just not going to happen. Revisiting old work, I'm making a new virtual copy, a new version, and doing a fresh take on a past image. So that's my big problem with non-destructive editing. I love it in the short term, and after that, I may as well just be doing a fresh edit from square one. A little bit of studio news for you. Um, as I record this, On One is uh, about to release Photo Raw 2024. I think it comes out one day after this podcast episode goes live. Uh, this is the the newest iteration in you know Photo Raw. That's the flagship product from On One. Uh, a bunch of new features in there. The marquee one being Brilliance AI. This is um I'll describe it as like a, almost like a little mini command center for being able to quickly get a photo looking good with minimal effort, and then you're off to adding your own signature style. I'll have a bunch of stuff going up on my YouTube channel when Photo Raw 2024 launches. I got my hands on a pre-release version of the software and been playing with it for a few days. Uh, it's snappy. The, the UI is fresher. Uh, there's some other interesting features in there as well. I like that the search has been overhauled. 
Uh, and um, there's an interesting thing called like AI Style Advisor, I think it's its name, where um, it will suggest particular styles, like your editing effects, based on what it sees in your image. You know, what, what kind of image is it? What things are in it? Is it mountains? Is it people? Is it cars? And give you a, you know, a, a 10 or 12 suggestions on, you know, here's what uh, we, we think would be good for, uh, for your photo. So be, be on the lookout for that. Uh, if you haven't upgraded or are thinking about adding it to your toolkit, when you do, use the offer code SDP20, like Stop Down Podcast or Scott Davenport Photography, SDP20, and it'll save you 20%. It'll give me a little bit of support too, so I can do some more tutorials on that. And I've also gotten a bunch of questions about the uh, Photo Raw book that I have produced mostly with each iteration of the software. And will I be doing a, a rendition or a revision of Photo Raw Essentials for the 2024 edition? The answer is yes, uh, although I don't have an estimated time for uh, releasing that update. It usually takes me a couple of months to put it together. Uh, and in this case, because there's some significant changes in how on one's approaching things with brilliance AI search being overhauled, uh, you know those types of things. It might take me a little bit longer to do the the full layout and um, rewrite uh, certain sections of the book. But uh, if you're if you're on the lookout for that, you know, know it is coming. And uh, when I have a more tangible update, I'll certainly be doing it here on the podcast as, uh, as well through my other channels and websites. And with that, I will leave you to think about your relationship with non-destructive editing. And I'm curious what your thoughts are. Uh, feel free to share those through the comments on this podcast. You can go to scottdavenportphoto.com slash podcast and be able to see this episode, drop comments on it, use the contact form on my website. Let me know what you think. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I'm curious to hear other perspectives on this as well. Well, I'm uh, I'm off to to Oregon for the next couple of weeks to uh, to host some workshops there. Very much looking forward to being out in the field with uh, my fellow photographers. So uh, if you uh, if you do send in a question or a comment and it takes me uh, a day or two to reply, well now you know why I'm I'm out in the in the field with uh, with a bunch of folks having fun with our cameras. And if a future photo workshop is something you're interested in, please go check out my workshops page. I have the 2024 schedule posted, three workshops for next year, Bryce Canyon National Park, Big Sur, and then toward the end of 2024, Antarctica. So uh, lots of good stuff on the 2024 calendar for workshops. Do check them out. If you have a, a photo friend that would be interested in those, please suggest those to them. And I'm going to go finish packing and get on a plane to Oregon. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And uh, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. And until next time, my name is Scott Davenport. Have fun. Mm -hmm.